Okay, well, it's time to start, isn't it? So, um, so we're in Romans chapter 4, and I'll just briefly say, and uh, if you were not here last week, um, but what's going on in Romans 4, Paul is continuing um, his, uh, I was going to say his argument for, I guess that's one way of saying, stating his position primarily in chapters uh, two and a half through about seven, really. But he's talking primarily to the Jewish Christians in his audience uh, and uh, emphasizing in several different ways that the old ways are no longer, are not the new ways that there is a new covenant in place, that the Messiah has come, that the promises to Abraham from Genesis 12 and 3, that he is here. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The Messiah is the one that God is speaking about to Abraham there. And uh, that's the message Paul is, is making as he addresses the Romans. Um, the church in Rome, and just a brief recap of some of the passages we looked at, 2.23, chapter 2.23, he says, You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, and the Gentiles blaspheme the name of the Lord because of the way you live. So he's telling them there that you're not living consistent with the law even though you say uh, you take a lot of pride in it. You're not living up to it. And then he says in verse 28, 228, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly or by the flesh according to the flesh. That's not how God is uh, counting his people in that sense. It's not outward, but it's inward. It's of the heart. He said the ones who are Jews, who are God's people, are the ones who are his people in the heart by the spirit not outwardly. Uh, A Jew, in verse 29, a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. 3.9, he says, are the Jews any better off? He says, well, no. Legally not, because all are under sin, Jews and Gentiles, everyone. Every mouth may be stopped, and the world is accountable to God. All are under sin. Verse uh, 320, by the works of the law, no human will be justified before God. The works of the law is not sufficient to get somebody to heaven. It's always been by faith. Abraham's righteousness was by faith. The father of the Jewish nation, even before Jacob was named Israel. Um, Romans 3.21, now the righteousness of God is shown apart from the law, separate from the law, apart. The righteousness of God is, uh, which is through faith in Christ Jesus. And 3.28, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And then verse 30, God will justify the circumcised and the uncircumcised by faith. So it's All by faith. That's what he's getting at there. So we get now to chapter 4. And he uh, begins chapter 4. He's using Abraham. 
Abraham, I guess to the Jews, is the epitome of righteousness called the father of the faithful. How would you say, Richard, the Jews ranked their forefathers in greatness? Abraham, and then you got Moses and David, how, Elijah. How do you? Was there any ranking going on according to the most revered? Abraham was he because he was the father of Israel, and or let me rephrase that: from whom Israel came. Yep. He was the one who was given the original blessing of land, uh, posterity, and blessing to all nations. Yep. So Abraham is the first. Moshe was very revered because of his the lawgiver relationship with Hashem and bringing forth Torah okay so Paul's using Abraham here as he begins chapter 4 scripture says I think Abraham is the only one the scripture says he was a friend of God says that in uh, James 2.23 also in Isaiah 41 Abraham was a friend of God, or he calls him my friend. Uh, I think there's a passage in Chronicles 2 where Abraham is referred that way. Um, There were other outstanding people of faith back during the day, of course. Enoch walked with God, and Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind, and uh, so, of course, Moses, uh, the Lord took care of uh, his funeral service. So he's close to a lot of people, but Abraham is sort of singled out as a friend of God, although I guess you might say the others maybe were as well, but there is a distinction there. Uh, So his point in chapter 4 is to say Abraham was saved by faith, not by what he did, not by his good life, uh, not by the works he accomplished, but his righteousness came from his faith, and that's the point he's going to be getting to there. And, of course, the message there is that if the father of the faithful was saved, uh, righteous before God by his faith, and that happened while he was uncircumcised, before he was circumcised, then you should not take the sign of circumcision and being a Jew and keeping the law as a great sign of your uh, rightness, righteousness before God. He said Abraham was that, and that was before he took on, uh, he was circumcised. And so the message to his audience is, therefore, everyone, the Gentiles who were also uncircumcised, Abraham, when he was uh, called righteous, it was, uh, not only was he not circumcised yet, but he was actually a Gentile at that point. And so his message is that Gentiles and Jews alike Circumcision doesn't matter as a sign of rightness before God or with God. Don't put too much stock in your heritage of the law and look down on other people, Samaritans and whoever, as being heathen and not good enough and second-class humans. Because Abraham, you're the greatest one of your tribe, he was called righteous when he was uncircumcised. So that's what he's getting to, and let's let's just look at a few verses here now in chapter 4, and we'll go through this. Um, What shall we say was uh, gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? 
If Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. Well, he's going to go on to say, well, he wasn't justified by works, so he didn't have anything to boast about. Uh, that's, again, and I don't want to uh, overstate this, uh, and it's, maybe it's kind of easy for us to grab, but we don't have uh, 18 or 20 centuries of tradition that we're having to unpack He's talking to people who have had great pride in their heritage and in the law from Moses and keeping the law and their sign of circumcision and being God's chosen people, which they were. That was their heritage, but they were continuing that to sort of look down on other folks. They just weren't quite up to the Jewish standard. And so that's his, his whole argument as he's getting into this. He said, Abraham did have, had nothing to boast about. Verse 3, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So um, it takes a lot of hearing something new for it to sink in sometimes. And there's a lot of pushback among three sources to the church uh, in the first century here. One, the Romans are watching this closely. They've got to keep their thumb on what's going on with the Jewish nation because they don't want any civil unrest. That would be a problem in the empire. So they don't want any disturbances going on that would cause problems, civil problems. The Jews who were adherents of the law, the Pharisees and so on, the scribes, the priests and so forth, that had Jesus killed, they're still resisting this new way as heretical. And then there's the Jewish Christians who are sort of torn about how much do we leave behind and how do we totally walk away from our heritage to be Jesus followers or what do we do? And of course, Galatians is written about this. Judaizers coming, being in the church or coming into the church and telling people that now if you're going to be a, a Christian, you're going to have to be circumcised to do that. And Paul, Paul says, that's, no, that's hogwash. So this is, a, this is a hard thing to understand, easy for us to understand, more or less. Not easy at all for people whose traditions are being completely uh, upheaved. And that's why he's taking several, uh, several approaches to this issue. Richard. I think there may be an issue here that you're trying to say that the Jewish people had to give up their heritage to become trusters in Yeshua. I don't believe that. What they had to do was understand that what is that heritage that Abraham, uh, the ancestors, the uh, circumcision, the following of the law exactly were not the things that were salvate, brought salvation. It was trust in Hashem and Yeshua that brings salvation, not these things. 
you don't have to leave them behind. You just have to understand where salvation truly comes from. Yeah. I would agree. I agree with that. Uh, to sort of condense what Richard's saying, uh, don't hear me say that Paul is telling the Jewish believers that you have to turn your back on your heritage. No. He's saying, but you cannot trust the traditions of your heritage as the means to salvation. That's through the Messiah. And so the circumcision and the legal practices to try to gain Jehovah's favor, that is replaced by the law of faith, by what Jesus brought to the table. So I hope I'm saying that uh, in a way that makes sense. Interesting thing we get into here, uh, as he gets into the first part of chapter 4, um, well, let me, go, let me just go back to verse 4. To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. So if you're working to earn something, Paul's saying, uh, that's not a gift. You earned it, that's due you. You have it, you have it coming. You've worked for it, you've earned it. That's not what Christianity is about. Well, the point of Christianity is, is we cannot work. We are not good enough to earn our salvation can't earn it. Uh, so carrying that idea into Christianity, he says that does not, pardon the pun, I guess, that does not work. Sorry to say it that way, Ken. What would been a better word to use there? The whole world is listening. Uh, like Eddie says, millions are tuning into this. Uh, if not millions, ones or twos maybe. Uh, he goes on, verse 5. The one that does not work to earn is the idea, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from what he does to earn. Now, watch this. This is quoting from Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered, and blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. David said back in Psalm 32, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. Some versions say does not impute sin. Comment. Thoughts about that? First, anybody besides Richard? I'm coming to you, Richard. Nobody else will raise a hand. It's yours. Okay. We, and I understand what your perspective on faith is, but we have to understand faith and works go together. It says in Hebrews that by trusting Abraham, when he was put to the test, offered up Yitzhak as his, Isaac as his as a sacrifice. We're going to get to that. So, That's he, coming. It, but it wasn't just there wasn't just faith. It's what he did yep. to show his trust right. in Hashem. Yes, and James says, "Okay, 
which James says, if you have faith only, he says, that's dead. Your, your faith has got to be demonstrated by how you live. You're not living to earn salvation. You're not living to earn something. God expects us to live a certain way. That's an expectation of his people. It doesn't earn us anything. Again, I'll refer us back to, to Jesus' words in Luke 17, uh, if I can remember them. Let me think about that a second. Luke 17, 10. Jesus says, I nearly had it. Some, somebody read Luke 17, 10. Read it loud. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Yeah. When you've done everything you were told to do, all you can say is, we're still unworthy. We just did what was our duty. We obeyed the command. We didn't earn anything. We didn't earn any. Obeying God is not earning. Obeying God is expected. It's always been that way. It was expected in the garden. I mean, it began that way. Adam and Eve had assigned duties to do, and then when they broke God's law, when they stopped obeying, they, they got the boot because obedience was expected, always been expected. Jeff. Let's see if I get it right. It's supposed to be what James says. Show me your, your, your works by your faith. No, show me your faith by your works, and I'll show you my works by my faith. Well, you nearly got it. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. But you're on track. Show me your faith without doing anything, and I'll show you my faith by the way I live. It's just really common sense is what it is. In essence, faith works without faith is useless in the same way faith without works is useless. Yes. So I'm not saying this to take you off track, but, but like with my employees, they all think that if they show up to work on time every day for a month, <laughs> that they deserve a raise over the guy that didn't. When the reality of it is, that was the expectation from day one, yep. to be there. Yeah. Or whatever requirement that we have. Yeah. And, you know, Jesus has the parable about the guys working in the... He goes out and hires a bunch of guys, and he says, I'll give you a certain amount, and they go to work. And then he comes back about three hours later, he hires some more, says, I'll give you, the, it was the same amount. They go to work. Noon, he does the same. Then the last hour of the day, he does the same thing, and they go to work. <clears throat> everybody comes back to get their pay, and he gives everybody the same amount. And the ones that worked all day looked at the ones that worked the last hour or two and said, that's not fair. And he says, didn't I tell you what I'd give you when you agreed? So we're, we rejoice with the angels in heaven when someone who's 90 years old comes to Jesus. Amen. The person that's been following Jesus since he or she was 12, we rejoice with them. They've lived a life that has been blessed and probably avoided a lot of... Uh, pitfalls that could have come if they hadn't been following Jesus. That doesn't mean they've been isolated from problems. But there are certain problems if we're following Jesus, there are a lot of pitfalls we don't have to get into. We all know people 
maybe nearly all of us have people in our families who have turned away from Jesus and we can look at what has happened in their life and the bad decisions they have made and seen the heartache that's been involved. And that heartache was unnecessary if better choices had been made. So somehow you got me off track, Mac, but uh, it's all good. Let's look at James chapter 2. We, we brought that up. Let's just go ahead and look at that just briefly. James 2, and uh, where James is talking about the connection between faith and works or faith and obedience. And a lot of versions translate uh, the idea here in James as works, and sometimes that can be confusing. It would probably be easier understood if it were translated obedience, it wouldn't be nearly as confusing if we read it as obedience. But I'm going to read to you a section from the New Century Version. And it reads a little uh, more like the way we would understand it. I'm going to start in verse 18 that Jeff was quoting. Someone might say, you have faith but I have deeds. Show me your faith without doing anything, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God? Good. The, de- the demons believe that, and they tremble with fear, so their belief is sincere. They believe in God. Then verse 20, you foolish person. Must you be shown that faith that does nothing is worth nothing? Abraham, our ancestor, was made right with God by what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. And so you see that Abraham's, uh, by Abraham's faith and the things that he did worked together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And then uh, uh, the New English Version says in verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. When we read Genesis 15, all we read is Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's true. James amplifies it a little bit, explains it a little bit further when he says Abraham obeyed God And that fulfilled, God knew he was going to obey him. God was testing him. Abraham had to know that he was going to obey God. It was for Abraham's benefit. The Lord knew what would happen. But Abraham had to realize where he was going to place God in his life. So um, it was counted as righteousness to him. Um, In Genesis... um, 22, there's the story in Genesis 22 of Abraham and Isaac. And so God appears to him. He's got this son. I don't know what age he was at that time, 10, 11, 12. No. no. Think he was older? He says in the 20s, Richard says in the 20s, I don't think he was that old, but, and I'll tell you why, I don't think he was that old. It doesn't matter. Uh, it just seemed the nature of his responses and questions to Abraham were more from a younger person than an adult. The way Isaac talks to Abraham, his father. But let's say he was 20. I don't care. One of the reasons they come up with that is that they were walking together and discussing things together on a more or less equal basis. Well, I don't know if they were discussing things on an equal basis man to man. That's an assumption. 
I mean, a father walks with his uh, 10, 11, 12-year-old son and discusses things with him like uh, Mike does with Alexander, uh, trying to help him grow up. But it doesn't matter. Whatever age he was, that's fine. So God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to offer your son Isaac. Make a burnt offering of him. Woo! I mean, think about that. Think about that. That shows he wasn't a teenager. That shows he wasn't a teenager. That shows he was a teenager, one or the other. It's easier to offer teenagers who are rebellious. Yeah. Bill says that proves he was a teenager because he was rebellious. He would have been easier to offer. Uh. <laughs> anyway, it's a pretty tall order. And what does the scripture say Abraham does? It says he got up. Told Isaac, let's go, we gotta, we're going to make a little trip. He got some his men servants with him, and here they go to a place the scripture says, God says, I will show you where to offer your son. So they go. And they travel for three days. They get there. Abraham says to his servants, wait here. We'll be back. We'll be back. The boy and I will be back. God, Abraham has faith of the resurrection. They're coming back. But he says, we're going to worship, we'll be back. So they go. He puts him on the altar. I suspect if Isaac had been in his 20s, he might have said, wait a minute. I'm not crawling up on that. I know what altars are about. Or he might have just been an obedient son. But regardless... He says, where's the lamb when they get up there? He says, God will provide. Then he puts him on the altar. And he's raising the dagger to kill him. And the angel says, wait, Abraham, because now I know you trust me and you have obeyed me. Now I know you have faith. By looking at what you're doing, you have trust in me. Larry, you had your hand. There's a key word here. You've used it many times counted to him in verse 3 I believe it was and then at the end of verse 8 sin is counted against him the word count is uh, it's almost like a counting term who's counting God's count uh, the NIV uses the word credit. credited King James imputed so there's a credit gift yeah it wasn't it wasn't Abraham's righteousness, Larry is saying. Righteousness was credited, imputed, or accounted to him. Where did righteousness come from? It comes from God. And God declared Abraham as righteous by seeing his faith through his obedience. Some doctrines that we uh, run across today put a premium on faith only. I think, misunderstanding what faith means. Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith, Abraham offered Isaac. He calls Abraham's obedience faith. Obedience has always been a part of faith. It's a part of faith. It's always been that way. Read Hebrews 11, chapter 11, you'll see that. Daniel? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Daniel is... is uh, is saying that um, what I was trying to say. 
Uh, obedience is expected. It's part of faith. It, our belief in God causes us to obey. And that all comes together as faith. And she made the point there that when Jesus came, he says in the sermon on the, uh, early on there in Matthew, uh, you've heard it said not to kill, I'm telling you don't hate. He elevated the command. You've heard it said, uh, you know, Moses said don't commit adultery. Jesus said, I'm saying don't lust. He elevates the game. Uh, to what God had intended all along. I want your heart, not what you just try to get by with doing and saying, and this is okay or that. I want your heart. I know if I have your heart, the actions, the obedience will be there. God's always wanted our hearts. So Jesus told the Pharisees, go learn what this says. I desire mercy and not formality not sacrifice. I'm not after you're offering these sacrifices as a sign of your righteousness, but you live a different way. I want your heart. That's what I want. And he told his followers, he says, do what the Pharisees say, but don't live the way they live. Don't do what they do because their lives do not match up with what they say about God's commandments, God's teaching. Sir. While it's uh, obeying to me is like one of those values, you know, it's like, I'm going to tell you not to do this. Well, yeah, I'll show you, I'm going to do it. It's almost like, but if you, if you take it and say, you know what, I, I want to do what pleases God. You know, I want to do, the, do these things that he says I should do. But we live in a life where it's like, I really want to please God. I think for me, it takes a little bit more of that sting out of the word obey. And if you don't think, think about the marriage vows. It says, you know, I'm going to obey. We got married, and the preacher said to my wife, you're going to obey. She just left that word right out of there. <laughs> Sassy didn't repeat that part. <laughs> you know, kind of in a way, if you, if you say must obey. You must obey the law. That speed limit says 55. <laughs> Not 56. Right. No. But if you're living in a way, for me, it feels so much better. Because I want to live in such a way that I please God. Just like Abraham taking Isaac. I mean, you know, that wasn't an easy choice. Oh my. What God yeah. asked, and I'm going to do what pleases him. And that's the key, as Bill's saying. There's something about human nature. If we hear the word obey, there's a, there's a bristling that happens a lot of time. I don't, I don't want to be told what to do. Uh, human nature is a, there's a powerful thing in, in us that makes us want to do what we want to do. I want to do what I want to do. And the whole point before God is, is us realizing, Lord, what Bill just said, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to please you. I am nothing on my own. Who makes us think we're something? It's not the Lord. I mean, we have great value. Jesus showed that at the cross. But you know what I'm saying. Our egos are a problem. Aaron. I mean, 
Testament. Why were they there? Because they were there because there were things that helped the society as a whole. They were things that helped the individual as a whole. You know, if you don't murder your brother, you know, the village is a better place. You know, if you don't commit adultery, what happens? The village is a better place. Mm-hmm. Because when you do that, you don't just hurt your brother, but you hurt yourself, you hurt the people around you. There's a lot of cascading effects. All of those things in there were put there for our benefit. It's not like, you know, it's like a, you know, a father telling a kid not to stick a penny in the light socket. He's not doing it because it's going to have any yeah. effect on him. He's doing it because it helps the child avoid pain. Yeah. You, you know, and I think people forget, you know, everything God says has a purpose, whether you understand it or not at the time. And I think that's part of spiritual growth. Over time, you realize, hey, you know, if I do these things, a lot of bad stuff happens not just to me, but the people yeah. around me. So, yeah. People forget and gloss over that when they see God's words and God's commandment. He's not doing it to be a tyrant. God, God, yes, God. God gave us his commands for our good, not for rules just to control us for the sake of controlling, Bill says, but for our benefit. As we know, when we tell, have told our kids this or that, it was for their benefit. They always didn't understand it, but we could see and understand things better than they could, and that's how the Father is with us. Uh, I remember years ago, a new Christian back in another galaxy far, far away from here, um, as we studied with him, uh, did you ever know Bob Danklison, Bill? You know who he is? He was at White's Ferry Road. He, Bob had converted this fella, and Pam and I were involved with a study with him, follow-up studies as he was a new Christian, and we got, as we went along in this process, we would come to passages, and the guy would say, well... I don't think I agree with that. That, that's, that doesn't seem right to me. And so he was having a will problem. He was e- equating his judgment with God's judgment as to which made more sense to him. And so he kept running into things that he didn't agree with. After a period of time, he, he quit because God didn't agree with him uh, what he thought God should do or say or think. And so our wills are a challenge for all of us uh, to ride herd on. So Jesus says in Luke, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Die to self. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. I've crucified myself with Christ. That's what's he talking about. He's talking about our wills to be brought into subjection to the Lord. And it's, uh, it's something for us to watch. Uh, because we will always find sit plenty of situations the enemy will provide, even though we don't realize it's the enemy, he will provide plenty of opportunities for us to say, <clears throat> well, this is where I draw the line. I'm not going to, you know, and here we go into whatever it is. Love God, love each other. That's what Jesus says. 
And if we love God, like Bill made the comment, we want to do what he's told us to do because he is God and wiser than us. Uh, so going on, thank you for that, for the input. Um, so back to Romans uh, 4 and 7 and 8, and we got about five minutes. Interesting statement here, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are covered, forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count sin. Okay? Against whom the Lord does not count sin. We have a problem of feeling good enough to go to heaven. How many times have you thought that or heard that expressed? I'm not, I don't know, uh, people might say, I don't know about my salvation. I hope I've done enough. I don't feel good enough in that sort of idea. And the point is, uh, none of us are. That's the point. We are saved through what Jesus has done for us and our trust in that. And it's a gift of God's grace to us. It's not about my goodness. So Jesus says in John 5, 24, those that follow me, that believe in the one who sent me, have passed from judgment to life. They've passed from judgment to life. They don't come under judgment. Uh, let that sink in a minute. What does it mean not to come under? Uh, one scripture says we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We show up, we show up there, and he says, oh, Mike, got nothing against you. Come on in. There's no, this, I understand the scripture. There's no recounting of Mike's sins. They're forgiven. Is he going to be judged for something that's gone? Is he going to be judged for something that's been forgiven? No. Forgiven and remembered. remembered no more. We need to learn somehow to take, to have great peace and joy in what God has done for us. Am I saying once saved, always saved? Nope. I'm saying when we're saved, we're following the Lord and we're depending on him. Turn to Acts chapter 13. Read this. Flip in your phones to Acts chapter 13. Let me find that passage. Well, that's not the one I, well, we'll read this one anyway. It's a good one. I'll get to that other thing in just a second. We've got two minutes. Let's read this, Acts chapter 13, uh, verse 37. Talking about Jesus, whom he raised up, did not see corruption, verse 38. Let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Which is another statement there that Luke makes about the superiority of the covenant of faith through Jesus. It frees us from things the law of Moses could not free us from. 
Um, about this passing from judgment unto life, from death unto life. First John 1 John 1.7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and notice the word at the beginning of that phrase, if, conditional, conditional. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, his blood cleanses us from all sin. Forgiven, cleansed. What's the condition following Jesus? He didn't say the condition was live perfectly. We can't. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25 is why Jesus, why it's so important that he's raised and ascended. He is our high priest, which Hebrews 7, 25 says, he is able to save us completely. Some use the dairy term, to the uttermost. All right, I won't use that term. I won't milk it any further. Uttermost. He will save us completely or to the uttermost. Completely. Why? Because he ever lives, he ever lives to keep us saved, to intercede for us. That's what Jesus is doing. Father Gary made a wisecrack about one of your passages. Forgive him. He's just a dummy. He didn't mean ill. Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. He saves us to the uttermost completely. That's what he's doing, keeping us saved. Not our, not our goodness, it's his work. He is a high priest for us. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we follow Jesus, someone looks at Aaron or at Katie or whomever and says, well, one thing I tell you, they're a Christian. I can tell by what they say and what they do. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, his blood keeps us clean. So that's going back to Romans 4, verse 8. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count their sin, does not count it, because it's been paid for at the cross. So we can have Romans 8, 1. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. How much is no condemnation? How about the sins that were forgiven? No, well, they're gone. They're forgiven. There's no condemnation in Christ. Do we have to be perfect? No, we have to be faithful. We have to give him our hearts and be faithful. We're weak, we mess up, we stumble, but we love him. He's paid for our debt. He's paid the sin debt for us and we belong to him, as Gene Cosby says. What a blessing. And it says that Yeshua is continually being sacrificed because of our sins. Every time. He made one sacrifice for all time. But it says he is continual. It means it can, his sacrifice continues to... His sacrifice continues to work to pay the debt. Godspeed, God bless, and come back next week, Lord willing, and let's try this again. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs 
as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.